Well, good evening, church. Welcome to tonight's Midweek Bible Study. Uh, today is October 18th in the year of our Lord, 2023. We are gathered as an assembly. Let's pray and get right into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight as we come before your word. We pray that your word will minister to us in simplicity and in clarity of speech, yet in the fullness and in the power of your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is the perfect instructor, the master teacher, who will orchestrate and lead this session. And we thank you that anything that is led of the Spirit is of a great blessing. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise for that. Thank you that this word as a seed will be sown on the grounds of good hearts that it will yield forth many, many dividends in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before I start off, let me just say a big thank you to all of you uh, for your feedback on last week's teaching on 10 lessons in 10 years of marriage. Amen. Uh, a minister to Pastor Jessica and I greatly uh, we also want to thank you guys for also being a safe space where we can be vulnerable to you guys without any makeup. Amen. You know, sometimes the greatest <clears throat> risk of leadership at times is vulnerability. You know, then when you're in a place of leadership, your your senses are very heightened to who you will be vulnerable to. And sad to say, there are not many safe spaces for leaders to be vulnerable to. It's not so with people who are not in positions of leadership, but it's very so with people who are in positions of leadership. We don't have too many outlets, not too many places we can be vulnerable to. So most times we are forced to fake bravado. And when we fake bravado, it it, 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 it it goes to the detriment of us. It hurts us, it injures us, it kills us, it sends us to an early grave. How many leaders have died just because they didn't have vulnerable spaces where they could be themselves and let their hair down? Amen. <laughs> you know, most Bible leaders, they have read of Noah. When Noah let his guard down, look at what his sons did to him. One of his sons, you know. So we are very wary of that. So when we when we when we meet as a church family, where we can be vulnerable to you about our idiosyncrasies, our mistakes, uh, what we didn't do right, especially when it comes to marriage, it really blesses us. And then you can receive it in good faith as good teaching. It ministers to us. Because when it comes to marriage, you have to let off all the blindness and let people in about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Amen. So it really ministers to us. That's just kind of like we're really blessed and very encouraged by you guys. Amen. So we look forward um, to our marriage series in the month of February, God willing. Amen. We pray that we will still be alive. Uh, God, if Christ is coming, tarries, and if February meets us of next year, 2024, we will do the marriage series. Amen. Okay. 
Let's get right into it. Tonight we'll wrap up part two of the kingdom is present with us. Okay, so we've looked at a set of parables under this heading. We've looked at 10 parables and they are as follows. The wheat and tares, the mustard seed, the yeast, the hidden treasure, the valuable pearl, the fishing nets, the new and old treasures, the lost sheep, the unforgiving servants, and last two weeks, we stopped at the Good Samaritan. Amen. We've done 10 parables. So I believe all the messages are on our podcast. So if you do listen, you'll be able to get the meat of each of the 10 parables. Amen. So tonight will be our 11th and final parable under the heading. And this is an interesting one. So please turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Verse 5 to 13. This parable is recorded only once. Luke chapter 11, verse 5 to 13. But the verses associated with the parable, you, you can see the references in, in many of the Gospels. Amen. Luke chapter 11, verse 5 to 13. And I read. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey. And I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Eight. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend. Yet because of his persistence, in fact, I prefer the King James version of this. It uses the word because of his importunity. You know, you know that there's a big difference between the word importunity and persistence. They are not really the same. All right. Someone can fact check me on that. What's the meaning of the word importunity? What's the meaning of the word persistence? If you find it, just put it in the chat. They are not really the same. King James version uses the word importunity. New King James uses the word persistence. Yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Nine. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Verse 10. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father 
give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Amen. So for those who just joined us, we are looking at Luke chapter 11, verse 5 to 13. Luke 11, verse 5 to 13. Shaquan, I know you are a blogger, so you write, you do your poetry and stuff. What is the difference between importunity and persistence? Because King James Version says that the friend will not rise, yet because of his importunity, he will give him the loaves. New King James uses the word because of his persistence, he will arise. And I was just saying that I don't believe they are the same. So please find out and then put it in the chat for us, okay? So what's the difference between importunity and persistence? Because I don't believe they are the same. Amen. All right, let's move on. So today's parable is on the importune friend or the persistent friend or the parable of the friend who asks. Um, this parable is very interesting. It narrates of a friend who goes to his friend, right, for three loaves of bread because he has a guest. This friend, he did not consider some things. One of the things he should consider is that it was midnight. He didn't consider that. Maybe his guest was very famished. Maybe his guest was very hungry, so he had to help. Maybe all the grocery stores around may have even closed. It might not be 24-hour grocery stores, you know. But he did not consider it's midnight. And generally, people sleep at midnight. You know, as late as people might sleep, most people sleep at most by midnight, most people are asleep. Even though his friend had clear set boundaries and probably may have spelled the boundaries out to his friend, his friend didn't care. All that the friend cared was that my guest has to be fed. You see, if you read this scripture carefully, you will see the friend's boundaries. His door was shut. He's in bed with his kids. He can't rise and give to him. I mean, when, you know, it's one thing to ask someone to do something when he's awake. It's another thing to tell him when he's asleep. Not the same. The Bible states in verse 8 that the friend of this persistent dude or this importune dude he will give him loaves, not on the basis of friendship. So sometimes relationship is not enough to get some things. Kinship is not enough to get some things. Today, just today, my, my wife and I were watching a video of a celebrity who was narrating a story of a cousin coming to him to ask him for $4,800 for a business opportunity. And he turned him down and said no. The reason why he said no was because you can't just take 4,800 from me just because I'm a billionaire. And you can turn that money into a $2 million yielded dividends. So based on that, he didn't give him the money. You see, they have a relationship. They share kinship. But he still said no. 
So what I'm trying to say is that sometimes you can have a relationship with someone, but it still will not guarantee you access to certain privileges. I think, you know, on the internet, it was a backlash. I was an uproar about it and all that stuff, you know, so because Jessica and I were just weighing in our two cents on that and we're just laughing at it. But what I'm trying to say is that relationship is not enough. Because the only reason why the Bible states clearly that the man rose up from his sleep, went against all his boundaries to give his friend the loaves, was not because he was his friend. That's not the reason. Relationship doesn't always give you certain access, certain privileges. But the Bible says that the friend rose up and gave to his friend because of his importunity. King James Version used the word importunity. New King James is the word persistence. Because of his persistence, he rose up. Amen. So now, what is the premise or what is the background for this parable? Before we even go to the meaning, you know, of the parable. What made Jesus narrate this parable? Please look with me to the first of four verses of Luke chapter 11. And let's read. So we are looking at Luke chapter 11, verse 1 to 4. And then from verse 5 is the narration of Jesus' parable. Let's read. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. Verse 2. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Verse 4. And forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So Jesus was praying. And I believe one of his disciples was paying attention. And when Jesus finished, one of his disciples asked, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples to pray. So I get this in my mind's picture that maybe this disciple was privy to John and his disciples meeting. When John is praying, his disciples are praying. But when Jesus is praying, his disciples are spectators. I don't think that when Jesus prayed, his disciples also prayed along. But when John prays, his disciples prayed along. So I believe that this disciple, probably out of a desire of wanting to know how to pray, said, teach us to pray, just as John has taught his disciples to pray. So these people had been with Jesus for some time, but they didn't know how to pray. And they saw Jesus praying on the regular. And when Jesus was asked this question, Jesus didn't give them a formula. Or he didn't give them something to vainly repeat. But this serves as a sort of a guide or an introductory note to pray. 
Why do I say that? Please go with me to Matthew chapter 6. Because when you look at Luke chapter 11, it says, when you are praying, say, and then our Father who art in heaven. So it makes you think that Jesus gave them a rhyme. But look at what Jesus says about prayers like that. Matthew chapter 6. Do you understand me so far? Are we all getting it so far? All right. Verse 5. All right, let's start from verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the corner of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their rewards. But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who is in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, verse 7, this is my emphasis. This is what I want to come to. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be like them. So Jesus warned his disciples, when you are praying, don't use vain repetitions. You know, don't, don't treat prayer like a rhyme or like a poem. That's what it means to use vain repetitions. Don't repeat yourself over and over again to the point that your word even becomes meaningless. Don't be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask. In this manner, you see, so it's not just a, 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 a rhyme. It's not just a poem. It's, it's a, a guide. I'm giving you some sort of a skeleton that will help you to pray. So pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And the same thing that is in Matthew chapter 6 is what we just read in Luke chapter 11. So what I'm basically saying is that Jesus did not just give them vain repetition. But he sort of gave them a guide. Let me just give you a guide, something that will guide you on how to pray. Are you understanding me? So that's what the Lord's Prayer is there. So the Lord's Prayer is not there for vain repetition. You know, the Bible says that the Lord winked at our ignorance. We didn't know better. Like, for example, when I went to primary school, we used to recite this, the Lord's Prayer, our Father, who I never allowed be done it. We recite it before... We start class, we recite it before the head of class. That is not what the Lord's Prayer is there for. It's supposed to be a guide in this manner. It's not something you just vainly repeat. Are you understanding me? So it's supposed to serve as a sort of guide that will help us to pray. Um, when we become Christians, the best way to pray is not using the Lord's Prayer. It's just a start. Do you know why I say that? The reason why I say that is because these disciples who were taught the Lord's Prayer, in Acts chapter 2, they graduated from that to speaking in tongues and praying being led by the Holy Spirit. So anybody who doesn't know how to pray, who has no idea on prayer, doesn't understand anything on prayer, the mechanics of prayer, you can start with the Lord's Prayer. It's an introductory start. It helps, but 
you don't just remain there. Biblically speaking, when it comes to prayer, the best teacher on prayer is the Holy Spirit. His ministry is prayer. Amen. And, and one of the things that will also help us to pray effectively is learning the art of praying in the Spirit. It's a weapon. When you read Ephesians chapter 6, after Apostle Paul enlisted all the six weapons of prayer, verse 18, he included not a weapon, but a lifestyle. He said, that weapons, will, it will work effectively with a certain lifestyle. He said, but praying in the Spirit on all occasions. God learn how to pray in the Spirit. Amen. So I believe that's the best way. And for us to know how to pray in the Spirit, we have to be led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's ministry is a ministry of prayer. Amen. So nothing against the Lord's Prayer. It's good. You have to learn how to pray the Lord's Prayer. But it's a start. You don't just start and then end there. Believe God to graduate into deeper levels of fellowship, deeper realms of prayer when it comes to the topic of prayer. Amen. So on the grounds of prayer, Jesus narrated this parable to bring home some spiritual truths on prayer. Amen. So I want us to see two things that Jesus did not see. It's always very important that when we are reading parables, we have to note what Jesus is not saying and what he is saying. Do you get me? Because if we are not able to differentiate the two clearly, our understanding of the parable will be very fuzzy. Amen. So first and foremost, Jesus is not stating by narrating this parable that God can be worn down with our prayer request. All right? So like the persistent friend did to his friend who was sleeping for loaves. God can be worn down with our prayer. Sometimes I've even had some terms. Terms like we are going to bombard heaven with prayer. You can't bombard heaven with prayers. You can't bombard. You can't bombard heaven with prayers. That is such a proud and arrogant talk. You can't bombard heaven with prayers. We are going to flood the, the gates of heaven with our prayers. You can't flood the gates of heaven with your your, your prayers can't be a flood. That will flood heaven. So try and understand that. We can never wear down God with our prayer request. Do you understand? So that is not what Jesus is teaching in this parable. So we have to get that very clear. Number two, Jesus is also not implying in verses 9 to 10 that God will always give us what we ask. Sometimes we have to thank God for some of the prayers God didn't answer. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying that God is like a slot machine. 
That's not the import of Jesus' message here. That he will always give us what we ask. Okay? So that's also not Jesus' import. Instead, what Jesus is making us know is in verse 11 to 13. God will always answer according to what is best for us in verses 11 to 13. So now, we did read the, the scriptures, right? So in verses 11 to 13, Jesus is talking to us about God our Father, his heart, the heart of God our Father. He will give us what is best for us. What is best? He is not always going to give us what we ask. Instead, he will answer according to what is best for us. That's prayer. So when we approach God, we have to approach God trusting in his sovereignty. That's prayer. Prayer is not to indulge in our selfish desires, our fantasies. That's not prayer. Many years ago, my wife and I, we watched a comedy. It was quite funny. It was just a skit. You know, and I think they were just trying to drive home prayer. It's like anything that happened. What happened? It was prayer. So now, <laughs> these people, because they were seeing how prayer was working for one of the fellows, they all tend to prayer machines. Like, man, we have to pray because when we pray, God really answers. But it was very comical. It was very comical. I like that it drove home a message that there is a higher being that we can pray to who answers prayers. But on the other hand, we pray not to indulge in our selfish desires and our selfish interests. For the people, though it was comical, they started to pray because they indulged in their selfish desires. Selfish desires. Things like parking lots, I prayed and I had a good parking space and all. You know, like it, it was very humorous, but it was comedy. It was very fun. Like what happened, I prayed. And so they, they were able to convert all the people to pray. Like, wow, when we pray, this will happen. When we pray, we'll receive this man. When we pray, we will receive this, you know, and, and something like that. But at least it drove home the truth that when you pray, you will receive an answer. But we also have to understand that prayer is not to indulge in our fantasies. It's not to indulge in our selfish desires. That's not the reason for prayer. When we pray, we have to trust in the sovereignty of God. And when we trust in the sovereignty of God, we will believe that what God gives to us, it is best for us. Amen. So two questions must be asked in light of this as we, we, we understand this parable. The first question that we should ask is, how should we pray? And the second question is, what should we expect from God? So these two questions are pertinent to really unfleshing the full meaning of this parable. How should we pray? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6.
But without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God, and one of the ways we come to God is by prayer, must believe that he is. You have to believe that God is. That's one. So when before you start your prayer requests, have this belief, have this assurance that God is. He is God. He is I am. You are coming to a sovereign being. You are coming to a very powerful being. You are coming to the creator of the heavens and the earth. You are coming to God, your father. Believe that God is. Number two. Then you have to believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So when you come to God, how should we pray? We should pray in faith. We should pray in faith, believing God on who he is. Who is God to you? God is my father. God is powerful. Among the gods, who is like him? This is the God I'm praying to. Secondly, I should believe that when I pray, he rewards. This is, I should have this belief as my framework. I should have this as my frame of thoughts before I even begin to pray. I have to believe before I start to pray, God is God. God is my father. God is the creator of heaven and earth. God is powerful. Among the gods, who is like God? God is a prayer answering God. And when I seek him through prayer, diligently, he rewards. I have to believe this before I even begin to pray. So if your prayer is not in faith, you don't receive. James chapter 1 lets us know that That a, a man who prays not believing is unstable in all his ways. And let that person not think he will receive anything from God. James 1 verse 8. All right. So number two, what should we expect from God? What should we expect from God? We should expect his best for us. So this parable is also not taking away our expectation of God when we come to pray. When we come to pray, we should have an expectation. And the expectation that we should have is that God will give us his best. He will give us his best. Have an expectation. Sometimes we have made it felt like if you come to God and if you don't have if you have an, an expectation, it's wrong. It's not wrong. God is not offended by your expectation. Not intimidated by your expectation. Have an expectation. Have an expectation that He will answer. Have an expectation that He will give you His best. That's why you have to trust Him. Because sometimes what God will call His best and what is your best may not align. Still, trust God that he will give you his best. Okay? Sometimes what you will consider your best and what God will consider his best may not align. But still, trust God that he will give you his best. 
Are you understanding me? So trust God. Trust God he will give you his best. Even if it doesn't align with, quote-unquote, your best, still believe that it is God's best. God will give you his best. So how should we pray? We should pray believing in who God is. And we should believe that he rewards diligently. What should we expect from God? We should expect his best because God will give us his best. Amen? So this parable, it also teaches us persistence in prayer. You got to understand that. It teaches us to have the attitude of the importune friend. It teaches us to have the it, it teaches us to have the principle of persistence when it comes to prayer. And what does it mean to persist in prayer? It means believing God for the answer and standing in faith, even when the answer seems delayed. That's what it means. I'll stand in faith. I'll believe God even when the answer seems delayed. That's persistence. Persistence sometimes means I'll pray about it again. And when I pray about it again, I'm not praying about it to, to beat God on it, to wear him down, but I'm praying about it again because I have this much trust in God that he has done it. And I thank him. Amen. We have to develop the posture of Abraham, the father of faith, when praying for a long-standing answer. And when you read Romans chapter 4, verse 20 to 22, we can learn an example from that. So Romans chapter 4, verse 20 to 22. Now, when you read verse 19, it's powerful. He said that he did not even consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. You know, when God gave them the promise that they were going to have children, Abraham had a dead body. So the Bible says in verse 19, he did not even consider his own body dead. Two, he did not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. So when God promised them that they were going to have a child, Abraham had a dead body. Sarah had a dead womb. But this is where Abraham, his faith was credited to him for righteousness. If you read verse 19, verse 19 said, he did not consider his own body dead. Do you know how much faith you will have to have, even though you know your body is dead, but he didn't consider his own body dead? Secondly, he didn't consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. Abraham was a rich man. So I'm sure probably he had access to healthcare. I'm sure Abraham's doctor or Sarah's doctor would have said, look, biologically speaking, it is impossible to carry a child. And even if you carry a child, even at this age, you could die. And you know what it would take for that faith, for Abraham not to even consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. 
but believe in the promise. He didn't consider his own body dead. I'm sure when Abraham, every year he goes for checkup, I'm sure. Every year when he goes for checkup, yeah, doc, do you think I can give birth? No, it's over. Focus on being happy with your life. You are healthy. That's enough, I'm sure. Or just adopt and give him that option. But when God gave him the promise, God didn't say you are adopt. God says you will give birth. A child will come out of your loins. And verse 19 says that he did not consider his body. He did not consider the state of Sarah's womb. And the state of Abraham's body and Sarah's womb was deadness. He didn't consider it. But I like verse 20 because that's my emphasis, verses 20 to 22. He did not waver or stagger at the promise of God through unbelief. You know, whenever we have a vacillating opinion about the promise of God, unbelief has set in. Because when unbelief is present, unbelief is there to cause us to stagger or waver at the promise of God. And Abraham didn't give way for unbelief. Even though he slept with Hagar and Hagar gave birth to Ishmael, Abraham still did not stagger at the promise of God through unbelief. But was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. So during our time of waiting for God's answer, this is the sort of posture we have to develop. It's a persistent faith. It's a persistent attitude. During the times where we feel like, okay, I've prayed on this issue several times and I'm yet to experience the manifestation of this prayer, use that opportunity to strengthen your faith. Use that opportunity to strengthen your faith. Because when your faith is strengthened, you will not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. You see, whenever you, you feel like, wow, I'm beginning to doubt whether God has answered this prayer, your faith is not strengthened. Your faith is not. And you have to strengthen your faith. There are avenues by which you can strengthen. Strengthen your faith by reading the word of God, listening to the word of God. It's one way by which you can strengthen your faith. You need to have strong faith. Another way by which you can strengthen your faith is to pray in the Holy Ghost. Jude 1.20 Building up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. The Amplified says that building up your faith higher and higher like an edifice. An edifice is an old word for building. Building up your faith higher and higher. Let's even use today like a skyscraper because that's what it's talking about. It's not just talking about any building. It's talking about building with 
lots of blocks on it, a skyscraper. Building up your faith higher and higher, like a skyscraper, praying in the Holy Ghost. So you can also build your faith by prayer. By prayer. So spend time strengthening your faith. During your times of delay, spend time strengthening your faith. It's a posture of persistence. It's a posture of persistence. And you need to have persistence to receive the manifestation of God's promise. And, and what will happen? You will give glory to God. You give glory to God. So that's another way. Thanksgiving. Learn how to thank God. When you thank God, it strengthens your faith. So during your moments of delay, during your moments of waiting for answer prayers, please spend time strengthening your faith. Why do you have to strengthen your faith? So that you don't give room for unbelief to come in. Because if unbelief comes in, it will let you stagger at the promise of God. And the Bible says that a man who is like that is unstable in all his ways. And let him not think that he will receive anything from God. James 1.8. So read the Bible, meditate on the scripture, let the word of God build your faith. Pray to build your faith and then thanksgiving. These are faith boosters. This will help you to have a strong faith. And when what what what's the what is the evidence of a strong faith? When unbelief has no room to operate. So judge your faith. So today, how do I know I have strong faith? You will know I have strong faith when unbelief has no room to operate in my life. So if you are sitting here right now and unbelief is operating in your life. It means you don't have strong faith. And please build on your faith. Strengthen your faith. And when your faith is strengthened, verse 21, and being fully convinced. You, see, you have to come to a place of full conviction. Abraham had full conviction that what he had promised, he was able to perform. You have to have full conviction against all odds, against all contradiction, that what God has said, he is able to perform. That is the evidence of a strong faith. You will come to a place of full conviction. You have to come to a place of full conviction. That is being persistent. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. This was not impressed God. And God said, Abraham, your faith has made you righteous. In the Old Testament, apart from Noah and Abraham, nobody was declared righteous outside the law. Amen. So this, the posture of assistance. So Jesus is teaching us not just the art of prayer. He also wants us to have a certain posture when we pray. That's the posture of persistence. And then I like verse 13. 
Jesus closes in verse 13 to encourage us that God answers prayer. Verse 13 should encourage us in our prayer time because God our Father will give us the Holy Spirit if we desire Him. And if God will give us the Holy Spirit if we desire Him, how much more can our things? How much more can our things? Is it a job that you need? What do you need? Fill it. If God can give us the Holy Spirit, what do you need that God cannot give to you? That's why it's very important to know how we should pray. We should first and foremost believe that God is. Who is God to you? Secondly, you have to believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him in prayer. And then what should you what should be your expectation? God's best. God's best. And sometimes, sometimes, sometimes your best and God's best may not be in alignment, but still believe this is God's best for my life because he is your father. But verse 13, Jesus ends this on a very encouraging note that even if we pray for the Holy Spirit, you know, during Jesus' time, to pray for the Holy Spirit was something so abstract, impossible, it's never going to happen, out of reach, out of touch. That's how the disciples were. And Jesus is saying that if you pray for the Holy Spirit, he'll give it to you. Something that you guys consider out of touch, out of reach, is a prophecy prophesied by Joel. It's going to happen. But if you pray for the Holy Spirit, he will give it to you. How much more? And Jesus compared men of evil to God the Father. Then men of evil even know how to give good gifts. Excuse me. How much more your Father in heaven? Jesus said it. If a son asks for a bread from a father, will he give him a stone? If he asks him for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If he asks him for egg, will he give him a scorpion? Then verse 13. If you men of evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your father in heaven will he not give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him? So Jesus ended this on a very encouraging note that even if we pray for the Holy Spirit, he will give him to us. How much more our karma needs. Let me tell you something. God is very concerned about your needs being met. This was just a bonus teaching Jesus added to. See, Jesus just uh, um, uh, responded to the request of, I'll teach you how to pray. But in addition, let me just give you this bonus facts about who God is. The God you are praying to, this is who he is. In case you pray and you don't receive an answer to your prayer, be persistent. 
and we've we've understood what it means to be persistent from the life of Abraham. Amen. And let me tell you something. This scripture also lets me know. I can't believe it's 7:52. Wow. This scripture also lets me know that we are not in the cessationist period. You can pray for the Holy Spirit and you receive the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean to receive the Holy Spirit? It means to experience his presence. It means to experience his power. The Bible says you shall receive power and you shall become witnesses. It means to experience his presence. When I'm talking about presence, I'm talking about gifts. So let it be known to you from the mouth of Jesus that when we pray for the Holy Spirit, this is not a past scripture. This is a present continuous scripture. If we pray for the Holy Spirit today in the year of our Lord 2023, the Lord will give us the Holy Spirit. Amen. So apart from God wanting to meet our earthly and carnal needs, God is also interested in us having a deeper experience with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this parable drives from an important truth that God answers prayer. It drives from an important truth. God answers prayer. So every believer should learn how to pray. Every believer has to believe that God answers prayer and believe that God wants his best for you. Okay? Believe that God answers prayer. Let me conclude. So all the 11 parables narrated shares to us that the more we experience the kingdom of God, the more we accept all that it entails, the more we will understand it. The kingdom, when we say the kingdom is present with us, it has to move from having head knowledge to experiential knowledge. And this is how we will change our world. We will not change our world by having head knowledge of kingdom concepts. We will change the world by living this kingdom. So that's what it means by the kingdom is present. But the kingdom is present with us, not because it should be head knowledge. The kingdom is present with us so that it will transcend from head to heart so that we can live it. And then when we live it, we will experience a transformation. So all the 11 parables have a common thread of truth in that, that the kingdom has to be lived to make it more effective. Amen. So on that note, we've concluded volume two of Understanding the Kingdom of God from Parables. God willing, next year, uh, we will resume volume three and we will start with the kingdom comes alive in us. So part one of volume one, we did the kingdom takes roots in us. We looked at a set of nine parables. We did volume two which is this volume, the kingdom comes alive in us and we've done 11 parables. So between volume one and two, volumes one and two, we've done a set of 20 parables. So next year, God willing, we are starting volume three with the title, the kingdom comes alive in us and we'll look at another set of parables. So 
I hope tonight we have been blessed by this parable particularly, and we've been blessed by the series in general. Amen. God bless all of you. If you have any contribution or questions, they are welcome. The floor is yours. Good evening, everyone. It's Pastor Jessica. Um, the um, maybe contribution, perhaps, is uh, I just want to highlight um, a couple of things that Pastor Steve mentioned. That sometimes, you know, uh, somebody can teach, and we don't. We can just gloss over um, certain things that are important. So one of the things um, that he said was about the um, cessation, what is it, cessation, cessation period? Yeah, cessation. Okay. Yeah. For those of you who are not familiar, what that is, it's important because um, it's out there. People talk about it and you may come across it. Um, that is certain people believe that the Holy Spirit um doesn't doesn't move like today okay that means that um, we can't ask for it we can't pray for it there's no um it's just his word we just follow his word there is jesus okay that's what that means so that's important because we have to believe that we can receive the holy spirit and the holy spirit is very much alive and is working did I explain it correct, Pastor Steve? Yes, you did. Okay. Um, the cessation period, they believe in the presence of the Holy Spirit. They don't just they they just don't believe in the active administration of the Holy Spirit. Yes, this is what I was trying yeah. to say. So yeah. they believe that yeah. gifts like word of wisdom, word of knowledge, gifts of healing, working of miracles, faith. Uh, um, diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. They believe that the nine gifts of the Spirit have ceased. It's ended during the era of the first church and it's not transcending into this era and beyond. So that's what they believe. Right. So that means they also don't believe in miracles. And yeah. All, yeah, yeah. But, but so then when we look at that scripture, like what you said, that scripture lets us know that those things are actually still working today. Per scripture, not per uh, human um, opinion or reason, um, that we still do have miracles. The Holy Spirit does still move. We still have all the gifts of the Spirit. Speaking in tongues is included. We can pray in the Spirit. So. And, and that's going to be important because it makes Christianity a lot more exciting. It makes Christianity more real and um, something that we can experience. Um, and then when it comes to prayer and we're praying for things, we have to know so that our, our faith, to me anyways, is strengthened knowing that the Holy Spirit is still moving and acting and can use me. 
So I did want to make that point because I think it's it's very important to your discussion as a whole. Amen. Amen. Who has any contribution or question? That's a very insightful one. Amen. Yeah. Sometimes you don't just say the word, you just have to break it down. Don't just assume that everybody's on the same page. Yeah, so that's good. Good on cessation. Yeah. So biblically speaking, cessation is anti-scripture, if I should say so, biblically speaking. I don't have time to open all the scriptures, but one day maybe we should do a discussion about that. Amen. All right, who has any question or contribution? All right, it's 8 o'clock. Let's close. Father, thank you for your word that brings light, that brings understanding. Thank you for ministering to our hearts. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you that we will not just grasp these kingdom concepts and it will become head knowledge, but it will become heart knowledge where we will live it and we will transform our societies and our communities thereby in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I look forward to the next series of teachings that will be coming forth. Uh, God willing, next week we have Minister Lily, Minister Lily NC of ICC Connecticut and also the wife of Pastor Robert NC. She will be teaching on the Great Commission I don't want you to miss it. I believe that she has a word in season for us. And when we do come in and listen uh, with a heart of readiness and openness and with a heart of meekness, the word would indeed profit us. So pray about it and let's look forward to receiving from her next week. With that said, good night and enjoy the rest of the week. God bless you all.